Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. Oh, it's my favorite time. It's my favorite time when there is a new Studio Neat Kickstarter campaign. This is for the Keen, which is a utility knife. Who would like to give the elevator pitch for the Keen utility knife? Yeah. I can do it. Do it, Dan. Gimme. It's a compact, durable, and retractable utility knife. Custom machine, satisfying to use, full of thoughtful details. Built You're just reading right off the I'm tin, Dan. The starter page. But it's beautiful, though. <laughs> it, well, it is you a, have done the work, right? Yeah. So, you know. uh, here's, here's the pitch. Yep. And this is kind of the direction we've been moving in as okay. a company ever since the Mark I, basically, which is nice tools that you kind of touch every day and provide that little bit of delight every time you use them. And so it's like, can we find these moments in your life to elevate the experience a little bit or bring a little bit of joy and so you feel good about doing this task instead of it. you change the way you feel about it, I guess. That's part of it. And then the other thing is this kind of long lasting promise where I mentioned this before, but it's like you've solved the hammer problem. You buy a nice hammer once and then I don't have to think about hammers anymore. <laughs> that energy is removed from my thought process. I've solved the hammer problem. And so... If you have a Mark One, perhaps you feel you've solved the pen problem, and now this utility well, knife is like I have a Mark One problem now, though. Yeah, we create eight of them, but like we create know. we create new problems too. But I uh, have eight of the last ten I've ever Yeah, yeah. So it's it's all this philosophy of be from a consumer and a customer side being thoughtful about the purchases you're making and thinking on a little bit of a longer time scale than, Oh, this thing is what I want right now, or this is a fad or this is a thing is like, what if I were to buy an object that I plan to use for 40 years? Like, what does that mean? What is that investment? And there's an investment on your side also of, you know, taking care of it, repairing if it, it needs to be repaired, but I think that's a really interesting mindset as a consumer to be in. And so we have found ourselves kind of making tools that align with that mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to the start a little bit and, and kind of like why a knife and why a utility knife? And can you explain what a utility knife is and why it is different to the other types of knives that people may yeah. use or have seen? Well, this all started, I think... The earliest thing I remember was basically, it's basically just that Dan and I open a lot of boxes, especially like Amazon boxes and stuff. And (laughs) there's just like not a great tool for that. I mean, there's obviously things that work, but there's nothing that felt like great. For a while, we were going to make some like, not a blade, like some kind of like, just like object that you could just like, like a pointy tip and you can just like run it through tape and it shouldn't feel good. I have one of those and I don't like <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it's cool. Like it's not, it's really safe, but it's just not nice. Right. 
And then we actually kind of tabled it for a while, then came back around. Um, but I think a lot of it is sits in the fact that, you know, all of a sudden in modern life, like we open boxes all the time. It's like one of the main things we do at breaking down boxes and all this stuff. And, and they're just, there's just not something in my life that just really was designed for that and really was delightful. And so that was kind of the genesis of like, yeah, we should do something that's for that, like for that exact thing. Mm-hmm. So that was always kind of a lot of the guiding light of what we're making. But then, you know, as we like get going, you know, I think one of the key insights was like, okay, like we should just use the standard blade that just exists everywhere and everyone can get because uh, it's good and cheap and whatever. And then once you kind of settle on like, okay, this works like we, we for opening boxes, then of course it's like, okay, yeah, well, actually this is a lot of things. It's just, you, it's a utility knife, right? So mm-hmm. we didn't approach it like, oh yeah, we're going to make a utility knife like a normal utility knife. It was really that kind of opening boxes at your desk kind of thing that was the center of the idea, I think, for us. But then obviously when you get something good that works, you start to think about, okay, well, how can this thing be used more? And so really it is a utility knife. Like it is couch. That's like the clearest metaphor that's simple. But I think for us, it does kind of centered around this, either sitting at your desk, do opening boxes or like being down. Like I, in my life, I'm like in the garage often like opening, you know, breaking down boxes to put in the recycling or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, and you can carry it like in your pocket, you know, like an EDC kind of thing. But I think for us, we definitely privileged the kind of like domestic at home-ness of it. And so and it, it, definitely like utility blade is like the closest metaphor, but it's not like we set out to make a utility knife exactly in that way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, it started as lots of our products do, which is kind of keeping our antennas out for little frictions that we experience in our own lives. And yeah, as Tom said, the the opening boxes, you know, getting a million Amazon boxes every day or whatever. And I mean, us specifically, so we many. were biased now. We probably opened more boxes than than average, but I think that normal people is you're getting packages to your doorstep every day, uh, and you need to open them somehow. And there's, you know, it's like so many crude methods to do that, whether it's your car key or a splayed open pair of scissors that we show in the video or very good moment in the video <laughs> when it goes black and white. It's very good. Well, or like even, that. uh, or even a kitchen knife, which is probably the best worst option is still like, don't use your kitchen knife to open a box. Like, <laughs> and it was also, I gotta say, there was that one that I saw, I think it was on threads where someone posted about it and they were like, or one of those flick knives like a YouTuber. Yeah. And that, yeah. oh my God. Because I am like that. I have those James Brand knives, which yeah. I love. Yeah. They are mm-hmm. fantastic mm-hmm. objects. But it is a whole, like, I've got to unfold it and then cut and then unlock it. Well, and the fact that the blade is rounded at the end mm-hmm. is not a great tool for opening mm-hmm. tape. It's like not great. Like, yeah. he's, you know. Yeah, it's a different different tool yeah. yeah so we didn't even really consider a proper knife like a, a pocket knife yeah. like that that to me is just a wholly different thing and maybe one day we will make one but that's not that wasn't the uh the problem set we were solving for so we yeah so as tom said we we started off with like 
this blunt object. It was like a very crude prototype. Wasn't it just like a tube of brass a with poke. like a screwdriver yeah, like, thing? Yeah, does this work? Uh, yeah. yeah. And it was like, oh, I hate this. Uh, let's not do this. Like, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not delightful. It works and it's simple, yeah. but it, it's like it's not fun. It's not delightful. It's not smooth. It felt crude in the same way using your car key feels. Yeah. Where uh, it it wasn't satisfying. And so you feel like you're like ripping the tape, not cutting the tape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we and then we and so we kind of came back to it, and we were looking at Exacto blades for a while like a little yeah those are near and dear to our hearts as the artist's knife yeah we we both went to architecture school so we're very familiar with the exacto blade and so we explored that for a while and i'm i'm forgetting exactly why we moved away from that i think it was just too small for what we exactly were wanting it felt too petite in the hand Yeah. yeah we didn't want like a little pencil tiny thing like if you, if this was like we want something to carry with us out of the house all the time then that would make sense like on a keychain or something but that wasn't this this was like my guiding image always was like i want this to feel like a pebble or a stone in my hand like a, a rounded like a just a nice object that fits in my hand well and it's hard. Yeah. If it's too small, it doesn't work, you know? And so mm-hmm. we could have gone smaller. We had designs of like much smaller, but we decided to go big and it's not even big. It's like flat, but just like more kind of in your hand, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it it is actually, I, we shouldn't be misleading. Like it is quite small. Like yeah. you could, I carry, I, if I'm kind of in box cutting mode, <laughs> if I'm opening a bunch of stuff or breaking down stuff, I'll have it in my pocket feel it. and it basically disappears in my pocket. Yeah. Like it's yeah. so thin and not, doesn't have a big footprint that it definitely is pocketable. It's just not so tiny that it feels kind of un ergonomic to use like the exacto stuff started to feel when we were making these tiny little yeah. prototypes you have to hold it like a pin like a smaller thing you have to hold more like a pin rather this you can hold more like a hammer or something you know it's like yeah yeah, yeah exact and exacto are more scalpel like yeah. in their precision you know that's why architects use them for models and stuff is you need that precision whereas this is more like you know straight line cutting you know the edge of a box yeah. reminds me of the ipod nano but just a little yeah bit yeah i mean it's smaller but yeah <laughs> it's, it's like between a stick of gum and an ipod nano <laughs> it's also weird. perfect yeah. the international <laughs> <That's> standard <right. laughs> uh, so i have one of these yeah uh, you sent me one a, a prototype unit which i've been mm-hmm. using for like a few weeks a few weeks i think mm-hmm. i mean i love it like it it does exactly what you're saying it does in the way that i would expect it to the stone metaphor that you use tom i I very much resonate with because it's not just the shape uh the coating is it just pure cerakote coating yeah 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 on this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's made of is it made of aluminium no stainless steel steel. and we can talk about that but yeah because it it's, it's a it's a chunky yeah it's right? like in, in your hand like it's heft yeah. which is great and it feels it does genuinely feel super nice to use and the mechanism is beautifully simple and effective which is that you push to use it and as soon as you let go of the little button it just boop, slides Sucks back it. in and is held by a magnet it's mm-hmm. like to me it's like these little de- things the, this mechanism is like oh yeah this came from the guys who make those pens right it's just it feels like the 
the things that you've learned, right, of like the smoothness, satisfying, and magnets, mm-hmm. right? Like these yeah. are the things that have come from the Mark One and Two, especially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's wonderful. Like it really does feel fantastic. I mean. I own one. I bought two of them because I want the colors. The colors Thank are you. good. And I'm so happy because we were talking about this. You were showing me these before. And I know there was some conversation about whether you'd even have colors or all. Yep. But there mm-hmm. will be four, right? Is it black, blue, green, and yep. orange? Yep. 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 That's right. Yeah. Looks great. Cool. Thanks. So yeah. I, I love it. And it seems that so do others. You smashed through your funding goal yep. in the first day. Uh, you've hit like when we're recording this, like seventy-seven thousand of your fifty thousand goal over six hundred backers hours, at the yeah. time of recording. Yeah. Uh, how are you feeling about the success so far? Good, 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 really good, actually. Yeah, I think this. There's like, so, and we can talk about this. There's so many. This product is so incredibly different for us in, in a lot of ways than other things, and so it's um, it was a real kind of test hypothesis, like question. And I think there's definitely some, we'll know a lot more in a couple of weeks in terms of how like ads and stuff work with it. So we have like lots of more questions and things to explore because this stage in funding is basically like every other campaign we've ever done where it's like very driven by email list and like past customers and things. And that, but we're planning on trying to like, do a pretty significant like ad spend to see if we can scale the campaign. And and we've never done that before. So that will really be interesting. And it will tell us, I think a lot about the future uh, in terms of this product's future, in terms of being able to work for paid ads and stuff. So that's a whole nother bucket of worms that we could probably talk about in like in the next show or something, but we will talk about this later. I have some thoughts about that. So we could talk about that in another episode. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. It's very interesting, but yeah, we, this product has gone through a lot of back and forth. And I think there's a lot of interesting things to touch on. One thing I, you know, I think we should say right off the bat is like, this thing is pretty uh, costly. I love like Merlin Mann's distinction between expensive and costly. It's actually really not expensive, but it's pretty costly. And what, and when I, that Mm -hmm. distinction in my head is something that is expensive costs a lot of money and it may not be worth it, or there's not a reason why it's that way. And costly is like, it costs a lot of money, but it's like worth it kind of. And we went back and forth and back and forth on this thing. Um, When we originally conceptualize this product we were wanting it to be like 60 dollars retail but as we got into it we just kept making these choices that would basically require it's more expensive uh or like more costly because it's just the things the way it's made is expensive (laughs) and for us it was kind of this it's a real question. It was a hypothesis and it is unclear still how big of a market is there for an object that's costly like this. It's a high dollar thing. It's like 95 bucks on Kickstarter. It'll be over a hundred. Uh, it could easily be 120 at retail, which is a lot of money for a thing like this. But the decisions that drove all that are all about feel and durability. And we really wanted to make something that just, felt awesome, would last for forever, and could really stand up to that story. It's not like, oh, yeah, you could have this forever. It's like, no, this thing is like really, like really tough and feels great. And so 
for a long time we were making it out of and is repairable right yeah yeah every part of it is like we it could get fixed it's like very like the magnet breaks if a screw like it could all get fixed right and so there was a while we were going to make it all out of aluminum and it still a lot of it feels the same but it just loses that heft to it and that would like drop the price quite a bit Cerakote, we could have done it aluminum and anodized it and it just wouldn't be the same at all. So it's like all these little things that add up to this thing being, you know, pretty costly for what it is. And it's interesting because it's this really kind of strange act of faith in some ways because when people walk into this campaign or this object and they're thinking of it as a utility blade, it's like, yeah, you can go buy an all-metal utility blade at Home Depot for like, probably, right? And so it's a really strange thing to be like, yeah, we make the most expensive utility blade in the world, probably. And so it's a kind of an an act of faith to say like, nah, this, this actually does make sense and it doesn't have crazy high markups, uh, but it only makes sense in a certain context of like someone who like opens a lot of boxes or using this thing a lot and they care about how objects feel and they care, they want that delight to happen. Like when they're like opening a box or something, it makes a lot of sense for that person, I think, but it's hard to completely articulate that in a video. You know what I mean? To be like, how does, you know, how mm-hmm. it feels. So it's like this, it's, it's tricky. And I would have said like when we made the mark one, it started out cheaper. Like it started, I think sixty five bucks or something was the Kickstarter, and so it was Kickstarter was fifty bucks. Yeah, fifty bucks, so like way yeah. cheaper. Pen was too cheap, too cheap, yeah. and we realized just <laughs> margin wise, and for a lot of reasons that didn't actually make sense. So we yeah, upped the price wrong. right away, and we've been slowly kind of raising it to to find like the middle ground of like where it's sustainable and like where it works. But it's been, I think, a long road for us to a like believe that there's a market for that kind of thing but two believe that like when we say something like hey this can last a super long time and it's repairable that like it's true like we've had enough cycles and have sold enough like costly items like at this caliber like this price level that it actually we can like support it and it like makes sense so i don't know it's just a it's a i i may not be articulating it very well but it just feels like a really different thing for us uh, from a lot of different reasons. And so it'll be really interesting to see kind of on the longer term, like how it plays out, because I don't know, like I keep thinking, and this is kind of a weird thing to say, but like there's this, this idea of like a quote heritage brand, right? Where it's like, here's this brand that makes not a ton of different objects, but they're really high quality and they last forever. And the brand's been around for a long time. And this is, I mean, the Mark One is definitely there and all the writing instruments, but it's just, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of a brand like that. And this, I don't know, I'm, this kind of toys with that idea a little bit. And so, I don't know, it's just, yeah. a, it feels like an important object for us as a company. Yeah, I think there's some also, there's also some interesting questions of what what class of products are quote unquote allowed to have expensive versions of. So everything you just said about a utility knife applies to pens. You can go walk into a a, a Staples and buy a a 10 pack of Bic pens for $6 probably. Uh, But 
we make uh you know a seventy five dollar and up one, and we also make a pocket pen made out of steel that's very comparable to Keen. It's like a hundred plus dollars for this similar machine steel object, like the very similar in many ways. And so certainly there there are people that bulk at you know a hundred dollar plus pen, but they might understand. Oh yeah, there is this expensive pens is a thing. Like I understand that even if it's not for me, like there's this whole community of, yeah, you can buy a $300 fountain pen or whatever. Everyone knows Mont Blanc exists. Like yes, people just yes. know that exists. You know, they're not the best, they're not the most expensive, but people are aware out there that there's a thing. of these brands yeah. that's more in popular culture. Exactly. So some of the, like the, the comments I see kind of balking at the price, it, it's not. It feels to me it's not so much that it, this is expensive, but like, wait, are you allowed to do this <laughs> kind of product? Like, wait, is this is this type of product of this? Uh, be allowed? Yeah. <laughs> is, are you allowed to make an expensive version of this thing? And so yeah. we, that's what we're proposing. Is like, yes, you should be able to. Like, we think this is a, a worthy and a worthwhile thing to exist. And so that's what that's the test. That's what this Kickstarter campaign is for, I guess, is to see. If, and again, uh, I think it's really important. I know we've made this distinction in the past, but I think it's really important to bring up again that um, there's nothing exactly luxury about this, right? Like even the Mark One is not a like Mont Blanc is a luxury brand. Like a lot of their markup might be because of exotic materials or things that are purposefully about scarcity or luxury. It's like this is a luxury item. And the economics are built around that a lot of times. And although the Mark One, for instance, sits at like a probably a luxury price point in a lot of ways, not in the pin world, not exactly, but there's nothing exactly luxury about it in terms of the margins or the materiality exactly. And this is the same way. So this is not a luxury utility knife where it's like gold encrusted and there's a jewel on the thing. It's like, no, mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is just like really high quality. And so there's kind of two things because it's not like we're even doing a a, a, an obviously luxury item. Like we could have made this like ruby slider and like, you know, <laughs> like luxury, right? And that would be very clearly like, this is a luxury item. Like this is someone who wants a gold, you know, utility knife. But we're not even doing that. We're doing this weird, like, does someone want a high quality one that feels really great? Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's a weird... And it's like, I'm sure some people look at it and they're like, but these blades are so yeah, cheap. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, they are, but like that means the knife never gets Yeah, done. and it's like you can change mm-hmm. it like, well, You don't need to find the service that you can put this in a box and send it to, right? Because you just yeah. go to the hardware store and buy more blades. I've experienced this, right? Like the Sidekick Notepad that we make at Cortex Brand is $32. That is an expensive notebook, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, the panel book is like 20, right? Or as many people have told me, I can go get a legal pad for $6. Yes, and it's you can. Like, yes, you definitely can. And if you feel you that should. way, like, I encourage you to do that. But, like, the, the decisions that we made throughout the course of making it kept increasing the price. But every single time the price increased, I loved it more. And so, like, mm-hmm. we just... Got, we kept making it until we ended up at the final spot and was like, okay, like this is the, the version of the product we want to make. Yep. And like that means it's going to cost what it costs. Like one of the big things for us is so we use this paper called Extract, which is made from recycled coffee cups. 
it's a great story. Like I think that it's an awesome thing. It's the only post-consumer like thing that you can do with the coffee cups because they have the plastic lining mm-hmm, inside. Mm-hmm. They're non-recyclable, but this is a, a process that this company that we work with in the UK has developed to take these coffee cups and turn them into something. Otherwise, they just go to landfill. The paper's mm-hmm. really nice. Uh, we needed a thickness that they don't make. So we had to like work with our paper producer to like create that thickness. Mm-hmm. If we just used that like chipboard, like you know, like the the gray yeah. chipboard, the product would be so much cheaper. But it looked bad. Yeah, it looks cheap. Like, I didn't like the look of it. And if we used the thinner version, then when you pick up the notepad, it flops down, and I didn't want that. So it's like, well, we're going to end up in the situation where the product is much more expensive, but it looks and feels nicer to use every single day. And like that's the whole point yeah. of it. Like, I'm not looking, like with this, right? It's the same with you guys. Not looking to make the cheapest version, necessarily the most accessible version, not looking to make, like, whatever. It's like, the idea is to create something which feels satisfying to use and is made of high-quality materials. When you go down that path, this is where you end up. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. Or like costly. Yeah, costly. Is the phrase we use. And, and, <laughs> it's just where you end up. And I think the thing that's particularly like insidious about that approach is the things we're talking about are pretty hard to really feel until you actually use the object, right? And so... Yep. There's an element of trust. Yeah. And so we've built up a lot of trust as a brand. Like, hey, no, we do like do it right and we make good things. And that's why this makes sense. But... You know, going forward, when you're advertising to people who don't know your brand, it's like, okay, that's where the rubber meets the road. Like, c- can you tell the story in a way that it that it makes sense? So that's to, to the question. And if we can kind of crack that code and and it works, then I think there's lots of opportunity in the future for making these kind of types of interventions, like, like tools that are like, oh, yeah, we're going to make a flashlight or whatever that just like is you know, this high quality object that maybe not isn't always like made that way or whatever. So I'm excited for this product to see, it kind of feels like a new thing, like a new, a new like product class kind of for us. And, and I think Mm -hmm. it could, you know, it may be that we don't, we're not going to sell as many of these as if we do a Mark one, but if we sell enough for it to like make sense for us to like keep being able to produce it over and over again with like, like without pre-orders and stuff, then yeah, like we could sell this thing for like 30 years and that feel would feel really good. It's like, here's this object, like here it is, like we've made this thing. And so, um, I don't know, that's why it's exciting to me is just kind of making a little hypothesis about what's possible for like high quality objects. And, and I like the idea for you guys as approaching like the goal of this like heritage brand idea because... I mean, it's an interesting idea to be like, all right, can we make products that will be really nice to use and people trust them? And one of the reasons that they trust them is because we've been around for decades and longer. And because isn't that like, you know, it's the goal, right? Like that you'll just keep making this stuff forever. So if you can make like that mentality the aim, then you reach the result Right, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. If the idea is that like you want people to be uh, aware of Studio Neat and it has this lineage that goes back 50 years, then like 
that means you've been making stuff for 50 years. Like that's kind of the point. Yeah. I mean, right? it's just so di- such a different approach than like, I mean, it's funny cause we have pro- always approached the brand and the business that way where we just like, we're in it for the long run and we wanted to build this like rep, but we were doing it with products that were more transient often like, Oh yeah, this yeah. iPhone dock. It's like, it will, you, this won't last for 20 years because the iPhone's going to be set for 20 years. Like that's certain. Right. So it's, and we'll still do those things, but it just being able to say like, yeah, we could revise this maybe slightly over time, but it's like going to basically be this for a long time. Like that feels really interesting. It's like, you know, I think it's good. <laughs> so I mean, I can see how you get there because the Mark One has those vibes, right? Like that's that's where it starts from. Like, yeah. Now we're still we're tweaking it every mm-hmm. production run. We mm-hmm. like do little tweaks, but it's not nothing that anyone would notice, right? And so. Mm-hmm. it feels great i totally feel like we could sell the mark one for 20 or 30 years really easily and it would just get kind of slowly better and better or whatever and so that feels really good to me and so i like having a little stable of products that that are in that mode where it's like this is like you know gonna stay this way and so even if this thing doesn't sell like a ton a ton a ton ongoing if it's enough to where it can stay around and it makes sense for us, then that's great. Because if we have like 10 of those, then it's like feels really good, you know. So I love this vision of like having like 10 products that are like kind of timeless, you know, like they could be there for a long time. That feels really, I don't know, feels really like an interesting thing to me. So, And it's, it's a def- I can imagine it being so appealing after, you know, the majority of the company's life has been so far focused around making things that are compliments to somebody else's yeah, products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just like changing every yeah. two years or whatever. Now you're you're making your own products with the same sensibilities, but that they are wholly based on your own cycle, yeah. whatever that might be. Um, I can't believe it's 2023 and I'm going to ask you about clips Again, I can't believe we're back to clips. Like the age-old question from the Mark One: Hey, this thing has no clip, and we've spent weeks talking about clips. And I feel like a lot of people are asking about clips again. Did you learn Mm. nothing? Right, we learned nothing from the Mark One boys. What's going on? Didn't include a clip. Yeah, I think that's people coming from a context of EDC, right? Like anytime they've ever seen an expensive knife or blade or anything, it's like EDC world Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, it's either a kitchen knife. The the Mark II was a response to that, right? Like it was like, here is the EDC version of a pen that we exactly. This is what that would be exactly. Where the Mark One wasn't there, and I'm happy continues to still be itself without a clip because I think I like the, the the pen better that way. But this does again. It's like. I've seen people say like, oh, but guys, the EDC, like I've seen comments about like, but what about EDC? Yeah. And like, so it's not that, right? It's not that. Um, I mean, you could carry this around. You could very easily and it would work really well. And, but it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense for private to be like, like, for instance, there was lots of like, should we put a hole in it to put it on a keychain? You know, like there was lots of those questions we had. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, I think for our, in our mind, we, we wanted to be opinionated about that. This is a lot about like residential use, like home, like domestic use, like in situations where you might carry it around your pocket at home, but it's not necessarily fully designed and has the affordances for like, yeah, you take this with you everywhere you go. Now, some people will and it's fine, but that's just where we landed on the 
opinionated design side was that. And to make it to where it optionally has a clip would just be so many trade-offs that it wouldn't be worth it for sure. Visually, mechanically, all kinds of things. Yeah. We definitely mentioned this in the, uh, you know, on the project page and in the video, but probably my favorite feature, I mean, aside from the slider feeling nice to use is the fact that it's magnetized and you can stick it to magnetic surfaces. So I keep mine on the side of my fridge in the kitchen and I love it being so accessible in that way. It kind of, you know, disappears. It's kind of tucked behind. You don't really see it, but I know I always know I have a spot for it. I know exactly where it is. It's easy to grab. It's easy to put back. I'm pr- I'm going to try probably putting one also on the, r- I'm going to see if it stays to the outer rail of my garage door, uh, which is, which is right next to the recycling bin in my garage. Like that, it, it'd be exactly where I need it. So that I think is more of the context we're thinking of in is like you have this tool that exists in a place kind of always at the ready, not necessarily this, you know, EDC pocketable thing. That being said, it is really small and thin and it disappears whenever it's in your pocket. So like you certainly can bring this with you, you know, where you're going like that is not there's nothing stopping you from doing that. But that isn't exactly the the way we were thinking of it when we were designing it. Yeah, in true studio neat fashion, I imagine, you know, in like a year or two, there'll be like a wooden thing with a magnet in it that sticks to the wall and you put the thing <laughs> so you can stick it to anything. You stick it to anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because it is also like an object that just like is made for knolling out on a desk. You know, I mean, it's just like, I will lighten this up and put it next to my keyboard or something. So very good photos, by the way. Oh. Whoever's mm. taking those pictures for you, uh, Michael <laughs> Evans. I probably took a lot yeah. of them. Michael Evans. Yeah, we can uh, give a shout out. He's just like a person we saw on Instagram. It might have been like an algorithmic recommendation <laughs> on Instagram, and just reached out. And he's done uh, a couple shoots for us, and they always turn out really well. So yep. he's kind of our uh, in the go to. Uh, yeah, go to. Yeah. So yeah, so it's definitely like this. It is a bit of another, like I keep saying act of faith, but just like, I think there's a market for this. I, I don't know how big it is, but there's a market for this kind of new odd thing. And it, there will be people that are like, I don't understand this. This seems wrong. Like, this is not right. Like, this, there's not things like this. And so, um, yeah, that's just part of it. But it's funny, in the context of Studio Neat, this product fits right in. Like, it fits perfectly in with like the other stuff we're making and whatever and so um yeah i don't know it's all it's all uh i'm i guess i'm just really happy that we have built a thing and a context where we can still be opinionated and do some weird stuff like this is a pretty weird thing to do and uh (laughs) Like the object isn't weird, but in terms of like making a call on like making something like this, it's pretty odd. And um, I think it's cool that we have let ourselves be this like opinionated. We could be wrong too, but at least we took a shot. Like it took a shot at. Um, well, this one isn't wrong. Wrong. No, it's not like, wrong. Wrong. It, sure. It's really just right? about how like, big. You know, like you know, you know. At the end of the day, it, like can't is it. Can how much do does the success of this product rely on people knowing and trusting Studio Neat as a brand to say, okay, 
I trust that this will be good. Because that's what these backers are, I'm sure, that we have. It's like, they're like, this is going to be good because it's going to feel good, right? Uh, now, mm-hmm. does that translate to people that are completely new? Maybe it won't, but maybe after they buy a pin or a notebook that feels really good, exactly, then they're convinced, yeah. there's oh. Like a, there's a pathway, yeah. yeah. Yep. So we'll see. Yep. We'll see. I don't know. It's all... But I, you know, we have, like, lots of ideas. Like, if this feels like it can work, there's a lot of ideas of interesting objects like this that are, like, tools that have been to, like, reconsider some tools, you know, so. The marketing is important, too. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. The, the way that you photograph, like, the, these photographs sell the product to me because it's, like, it's got that feeling of, like, this is a brand that, cares and so then like i know i as a consumer i see images like this and be like that looks really nice and i go and look at it i read about it i see the price like it's expensive but i do feel this way like many times i'm sure you guys do too like i'm gonna trust them yeah yeah that, oh it's like, an act of trust for sure this thing exists people buy it and seem to like it and therefore i'm gonna go with it right i'm gonna give it a go and like this might be one of those things where like Maybe someone sees them pop up in a few people's photos or whatever, right? Because yeah. it's going to be, I think, very photo. It is a very photogenic product, yeah. and I think that will be, be a benefit. And then, like, eventually, the marketing will will sway them because they're like, "Well, this looks nice, and I like nice things." And da, da, da. yeah, you need that social. Yeah, I, I think it's also we've talked about this before, but price the pricing of something is itself its own signal and its yep. own communication to where. You could have marketing about, you know, lasting a lifetime, being quality, all these things. And if they get to the checkout page and it's $30, it, that stuff Rings might hollow. be like, well, wait, wait a second. That doesn't seem true. But when they're put, when we're putting money where our mouths are, it's like, yeah, we're saying these things. And now here's the proof that, you know, it's going to cost this much to get those things. It, it can be a little, uh, like a click with yep. with the customer where it's like okay this is what they're saying and i don't trust products that say they will last a lifetime but they're cheap yeah because mm-hmm. then i don't know how the company expects to stay in business. yeah exactly. yeah <laughs> right like yeah. if this thing is going to last me a lifetime i only have any one of them and it's five dollars <laughs> like you need to sell one to a, a lot, lot of people, of people yeah. right? To for this to make sense, yeah. for you in the long run, you know? yeah. And it's a question like, I know there's a lot of people, but how many people are like that? But I think at the end of the day, we want customers that are thoughtful about the objects in their lives and thoughtful about us as a brand. Like that, I I want yeah. customers that like get that right. And and if not everyone gets it, then it's fine, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a um. It's interesting. The other thing I would say is like that if you think about the like the customer cycle on this, let's say they like heard about this thing or they saw it and they're like, ah, okay, I'm going to trust this brand. Uh, let's see if it's good and they order it. I think part of the reason why or basically the reason why we decided to go all steel with this thing and make it heavy was when they pick it up for the first time and it feels like a chunky like durable dense thing it just right away reinforces that quality it's like bunk here it is like look this thing is different <laughs> than other things you've picked up the mark one apollo yeah yeah still mark so one like, yeah 
<laughs> I I know that when we were talking about this ages ago uh, about the, the the materials, you mentioned aluminium or steel, and I know I really wanted steel because my favorite Mark One is the steel Apollo Mark One. Yeah. I love it because I picked this thing up, and it's it. I don't know why. I don't know why our brains are wired to heavy <laughs> means good or like heavy <laughs> yeah, means really expensive, <laughs> but it, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And like yeah. you pick it up, you pick these these objects up, and it's the same with the keen. You pick it up, and it's like this feels nice. And I will also say that there is a thing in my brain. I don't know if this is true, but there's something about the knife where I pick it up, and it's heavy, and it feels safer to me in mm. a way. Interesting. I feel like I can control it more because it has some mass yeah, momentum to it where mm. like I, I I feel like maybe I'm I'm less likely to I don't know cut too quick I don't know what it is but like I feel like the product is telling me like no worries like I got your back it's stable like, yeah we're gonna, we're gonna be okay it's funny because aluminum is like durable like I wouldn't say mm-hmm. in some ways it's less durable than steel but it's not like the aluminum's going to wear out, but it's just, there's something about that feel yeah. that is so important. And it so, feels good. Yeah. I want to read a quote to you that like this, I heard this at just the right time for me. So it was not too long after we released the sidekick notepad and we were getting like, you know, you, this is those things of like lots of people were buying them and loving them. But then I also had people telling me that like, why is this good? Like this is too expensive. Da, da, yeah. da. And it was like bouncing around in my head a lot. And it was, difficult and i was listening to a podcast that i enjoy called sharp tech it's one of ben thompson's shows and he paraphrased a quote that he heard from johnny ive during a presentation when he was at apple it was an internal uh, presentation when ben thompson was at apple and this is like the paraphrasing is this is this i am i am quoting ben says that johnny said the most selfish thing you can do and this is about product design is to not be honest the temptation is to not hurt people's feelings. You don't want to hurt people's feelings because you want them to like you. But if you care about product quality, you need to be honest. And I love that so much of like, yes, you can make a product that is cheaper. But then if you are trying to make something that's good, you are now not being honest to your kind of like what your intention is as a designer and that like if you worry about the fact that because this is costly people will get upset you may be making a worse product at the end of it and of course there are limits right there are always limits as you said right like if you would have made this out of diamond it would just be stupid <laughs> but like now you've gone too far because you're not being honest anymore to like what the intention of it is you've now pushed it past the point where it makes sense but like i really like that quote as like a, you are going to make people mad but if you're true to your conviction you will make something good that when people use it they'll be like yes this is good well you'll make the right people happy you know yeah uh, like we could have made some choices where it literally looks identical to these marketing photos but cost quite a bit less and so it would have been easier to sell right because it's like the same marketing materials we could have said the same words right yeah and then but when yep. the person gets it it's actually not over promising or under promising and over delivering it's like it's actually like maybe a disappointment or just like, oh, okay. But we wanted the opposite where it's like, you have to have some faith in us, but when you get this thing, you're going to be happy. And so that's what always what we've done and that's what we're doing here. And so the question is just like, 
can we find the people <laughs> that will trust us, you know, or like, what do we have to do to get them to trust us or whatever? So yeah, it's, and you know, of course we already have like, like, thank you so much. It's like a testament to like, I think the, the like audience that we have. And I think that we've like shown by doing in terms of like built some trust. And it's like, I'm amazing that like this many people already are like, yeah, I'll sign up for that. And so that feels really mm -hmm. good. And, and so that's great. And, and, um, I hope that we can like, you know, learn to grow that audience or maybe, you know, this, this product is probably not the tip of the spear of studio need, right? It's probably like journals or Mark one is the tip of the spear, but this can be a thing that people, you know, uh, come back for or something when, after they've gained some trust, maybe, maybe not, maybe, maybe there's a way where we can do the storytelling where it really, you know, convinces. I think it's probably going to end up being a bit of both. Yeah. That like, there is a story, it will be more complicated to find, but like there is one yeah. and like, you know, the, the Mark one is maybe, was maybe easier to find. And as you say, was in like a world where it was, there's the competition was already on the higher end anyway, yeah. like just price wise. Yeah. Um, and then also this will, I have, I have no doubt that someone buys a Mark one, they love it. And, you know, maybe they're like follow you on Instagram or they're on the mailing list or whatever. And you mentioned Keen at some point, you know, like maybe in two years time or whatever. And they're just like, I know I'm going to like this. Yeah. Like, I know I'm going to like this. And like, and I think that that is what these heritage brands have going yeah, for them. There's a trust there. And like, so like that is to trust. And so yeah. like that just takes time to build. And so it might be that like, you know, over the next X amount of product launches that they have these like different waves depending on what they are. And like some products are long bets yeah. and some are more immediate. Yeah. And like maybe Keen ends up being a long bet because it is a complicated thing to explain. But like... It relies on a lot of social proof too. And and, and I think yes, we'll just get more of that as it lives you know, it's out there longer, you know, like more social yeah. proof. Like more people saying like, oh, this feels... Great, you know, because that's really the seller. Which I am yeah. convinced anybody that buys one of these will feel that way. Like That feels really good. I, the first time I used it, like I used it to break down the box that it came to me <laughs> in. And I was like, yep, yeah, they did it. And I, can, and I knew, like, you you know, I knew that you would. Like like all the people that are backed right now, right? Like I'm one of those people where I'm like, I know you're going to, I know you're going to deliver on what you have said because mm -hmm. every single product that I bought has done that. Like I've not had a product of yours that did not deliver on its promise. And so, like, that's what people know. But then as soon as they buy it, they're going to be like, yep, this is it. And then that will be the social proof, I yeah. think. Like, people will be talking about it. So, like, you know, I was going to say maybe we talk about this later. But, like, I wonder – I would be very intrigued uh, uh, if, like, Kickstarter marketing would work for this. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know because I feel like it's a it's adding in the you can't have it now on top of all of the other things. That feels like – uh complicated equation to me but i don't know i kickstarter marketing in general is like a fascinating yeah it's idea hard to, to know. me that it works at all right like that that it ever works yeah. like to me the idea of a of the way that kickstarter has come across my mind is like it's a company that i've used before or like it i am told about it from an influencer or a tastemaker within the industry that that it, this is in where they're like oh i vouch for this or this looks cool to me or i've used a version of this and it's good like the idea of like and i get these ads all the time from like these like from crowdfunder i think as a company or whatever and it's just like on instagram like look at this kickstarter campaign it's got this many and they try to use the social proof thing a lot of like has this many backers yeah. da, da, da. and to me i'm kind of like 
I, I don't, and I think I don't know if any of those has ever worked on me, because it's like I don't know why I would back this knowing nothing about yeah. these people. We'll, right? we'll see. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to know. Yeah, it's tricky. Um, well, like the more traditional later on advertising, just like a keen ad served to me on Instagram where mm-hmm. I can then click through and see that people have bought it and like it and be like, okay, like this makes sense to me. And then I have the immediacy of getting it now. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll be super mm-hmm. interested to see how that plays out. Like I'm sure, yeah. you know, I'm sure it does, right? Like it has to because there's a whole industry yeah. around it. So it must work. But like, I don't know how it does. It's fascinating yeah. to me. I, I think it's that it's pretty. My impression is that it's pretty hit or miss in terms of some products just really work for exactly what you describe. Like the fact that there's a weight doesn't matter because of the type of product is or whatever, or they're playing this other game of heavy discounts or any number of things. Yeah. And then some other products probably just completely fall flat from an advertising perspective, even if they work fine as a Kickstarter project getting cold leads like people have no idea who you are and they're just seeing this thing and you're asking these things of them to back it it just doesn't work and so i think that the industry exists because of these ones that are able to successful but i i do think there are probably a ton that just don't work at all also so we will see you'd be banking on that there is a large enough portion of the world who's like oh my god i want a better way to open boxes and it's like Logically, I will tell you that I'm sure that's true, right? That there are a lot of people who feel that way. But, like, how do you get to them? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's all very – it's all – we'll see. I think where we'll get in the next year or two is having more faith in, like, long-tail, like, uh, lifetime value for, like, customers and things like that. And and so a lot of these make more sense in those contexts. So, yeah, it's it's a – yes. I don't know. It's all a smear. So we'll see what happens. I mean, yeah, it's it's, really, it's hard to know. So but I think we'll know pretty quickly. Yeah, I know this is something I'm thinking about a lot too. But like, you know, Cortex brand is kind of inside out, right? Like as a company, like we are in, we are inside out, yeah. right? Where like people trust us before the products even existed. Yeah. And so then we've been able to make like kind of whatever we've wanted and people will believe or not if they want to own that product. But they'll believe that we're being honest to them in what we're providing. But we're aware of the fact that that doesn't work out into the world, right? And as we are now considering how like, all right, we've 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 benefited from our position, but we do also want to sell our products to people that don't know us. Yeah. And so now we're like, all right, we now need entry products. So like we're working backwards, yeah. right? Where like where you you have had and have a selection of products that are more the entryways, and then the keen is like a as you say is like a lifetime value customer kind of product, right? Will probably be and is an easier thing to maybe see in that way. And like you now, this is like a hey, you love us by this. We now need to create the products which are like someone can come across this and just be like sure yeah take like, a flyer and, on it and have yeah. more entry level stuff yeah as, so we can appeal more broadly to to a wider market I think. yeah yeah it's a, it's all interesting and then finding the right thing that is actually still good because <laughs> it's yeah. like it would be the worst case scenario to make a thing that's more accessible but then really doesn't sell the brand in the way you need it to because that's the whole point of it is to like as be it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the way that we're kind of 
probably going to land on it is like whatever this product might end up being is that the margin has to be lower. Like, yeah. and that's just the way we're going to handle it, which is just like, we still want it to speak the brand, but the brand is costly. Yeah. Right. I love this phrase. We costly, <laughs> say costly now. <laughs> but you can't make an entry level product costly and keep the same margins. Yeah. So like we're playing around with what that might look like, which is a mm-hmm. very complicated yeah, it's not easy. Uh, mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the campaign's running for like a month, yep. right? A month mm-hmm. more from mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah. how are you feeling about it? Like I feel like we maybe this episode is a bit more somber. Then, I think the reason I am actually, I think Dan haven't, and I haven't talked about this as as, as usual. I, I was surprised by the initial traction, so that's really good. So this is performing better than you expected. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great, and so I'm very happy about that's that. That's awesome to me. That feels like to me what I get from that is there's a group of people that trust what we make. This product is compelling as a product. It's just, but that trust is probably really important. I think the reason why there's some somberness is like Dan and I are just like, okay, the next phase of this is like, what about ads? Like, what about a marketing pitch ads? And so, and I think that's a little bit because in this new world we're in with like the business, the ads, we just know that's such a big part of the business now is like that. And so I think we're just kind of like, it almost feels like we're still in launch. Like there's still a lot of unknowns of like, okay, how's this going to go? So we're kind of like very much in the middle. Like, it's like if you were to talk to us like right before we sent the email or something, where it's like, Mm -hmm. because it's awesome that the traction from our audience and the way we normally launch things is, was great. Actually really good. And now it's just like, okay, what does this mean for the next step? So I think that's why we're a little bit like, I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) What about you, Dan? I feel good. I was actually feeling more nervous than usual the, you know, the Sunday before we launched. And I wasn't quite sure why. I think I was nervous about the price, uh, even though we were, we had, Tom and I had had the discussion over and over again, and we were kind of fully justified in pricing it at what it is because of how much it costs to make it. But that to me was the question is like, like I said before, like, is this product category allowed to be this expensive? Like, are we allowed to make this? Is the market going to allow this to happen? And so, yeah, I've been really happy that uh, it, uh, it that people are responding to it. It's I, I'll have to look at the numbers, but dollar wise, it might day. It might be our best first day. It's close. Yeah. They're all. It's so, it's close. so crazy how they're all almost the same. Uh, it's like why why is there so much similarity? But uh, it might be. I guess this one is a little bit more expensive at the like yeah. per unit, right? Yeah, like it, number of backers. I'm sure it's quite a bit smaller than a lot of other ones. But yeah, yeah. So that's that's cool. So yeah. So now, it, as with every Kickstarter campaign, it, it becomes a question of like, how can we kind of keep the momentum or, or try to scoop up some more people that w- want, are interested in kind of following along on the, the production journey, which is always, uh, always a bit of a trip. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> this one is scheduled for a year. Yeah. Cause we're being just right? so, we're just being so like 
under promise over deliver. We just do a year as our default now. Yeah. Like we set a year for Mark three also, which we be like, you know, are kind of, so, you know, it's just one of those things. Like it happened with Mark three. It happens with all these where it's like, we could do it faster and probably make some compromises, but it's like, no, we really need to nearly nail this. So we just know there's things that come up. Like, we're further mm-hmm. along with this product in terms of prototyping and stuff than we've ever been. Yeah. Like, you know. I mean, I, I've only ever had a pre-production unit of something from you once, which was the Mark 1. And that was broken, right? Like that, <laughs> that, I don't even think it was. No, it was like not even pre-production, I would say. That was probably like me sending you a prototype that I made or something, you know. What I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, well, there was one that had the knock that you didn't use oh, yeah. and then like a year mm. later oh yeah whatever, yeah that was really that was early. the first version of the one that like you made and it and it jammed a yeah. bunch but you every now and then you could get it to <laughs> like this is like i mean there's still is yeah like the one you have there's still some like little things yeah. but they're all things that are like oh yeah we can fix these so very simple to fix stuff. yeah yeah yeah. so mm-hmm. so it's like we feel good about in terms of just like talking purely about timeline like we feel good about like the timeline but again we always know like oh maybe something will come up and we need Mm -hmm. to like Mm -hmm. you know renew these parts turns out nobody knew that like something (laughs) changed in serico and it doesn't stick to stainless steel anymore (laughs) (laughs) the the utility blade standard just changes overnight overnight (laughs) the the rhombuses now they're not not trapezoids Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so to throw in stuff. That's right. It's like, yeah, throwing stuff. stuff. So yeah, who knows what it will be? But that's why we're we're really padding it. Um, but yeah, hopefully it won't be that. But you know, we don't know. We never know. So I feel like we can't let this episode end without some very important follow up. Oh yeah, this is should have started with this. This is probably more important than our Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, would you like to issue your follow-up for the show? Sure. So I get I think this was last episode. We we're talking about my new Mac Studio computer and the monitor to pair with it. I was hemming and hawing about wanting a 32-inch monitor and considering the Dell monitor. And not really caring that it was ugly because I thought it would be really nice to have more screen real estate. But it was basically twice as much as the studio display. So I ended up just buying the studio display. And then lo and behold, and this was so random. Like I found out about this, I think on threads, like viewing someone's back and forth conversation like there's no reason i should have seen this i just accidentally the saw algorithm, baby they yeah, got you they know yeah. you want the dell launcher shop 32 they know <laughs> it was as someone mentioned it's like oh this dell is 800 dollars off right now and i was like what and so i went to check it out and sure enough it was 800 dollars off which brought it much closer in price to the studio display and so i said you know what i'm gonna buy this and tom and Tom can use this monitor if, because uh, I was outside of the return window for the studio display. And so I got it. I unpacked it, set it up, 
used it for about 30 minutes and then promptly put it back in the box. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't look into it. the eye of Sauron on some of the display. Was that the issue? <laughs> oh, man. Where to begin? So I will say, uh, yeah, this, this monitor was a huge disappointment. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is the best follow-up. I love this. Um, okay, so the first thing, uh, I will say one it's not a good thing, but an average thing about it is, <laughs> I, and maybe both of you knew this. I did not know this. That huge forehead at the top, that's a sound bar. So I didn't know that. No, yeah, I didn't so know I, that. So at least it's justified. At least it's doing something. Like, so okay. that is, that's not black plastic. That's like mesh speaker. Okay. Uh, that's good, so, actually. That's yeah. Actually so it's like, good. okay, this is actually, there's a reason this is like this, not just some weird forehead for no reason. Um, so that was a discovery. Uh, the, the, the <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the number one thing that was the biggest turnoff is you just, you kind of are spoiled or forget how good Apple displays are like, ju- not talking about the industrial design, like just the display until you see something different. And panel. I was kind of shocked, the panel, I was shocked by how there was a drop shadow, like, around the entire rim of the display. Mm. Like, that thing where the pixels kind of are less bright as they move yeah. closer to the edge. It's like, I hadn't seen that in over a decade, because I've been using Apple displays, and it's... Soon as I set it up, it's like, what is wrong with this monitor? <laughs> like, why? Uh, and so that was the biggest turnoff. This the second biggest turnoff is that huge 4K camera, which is like, oh, this camera is gigantic. Certainly, it's, it's be awesome. pretty decent picture quality. It is not. It's probably <laughs> worse quality than <laughs> the studio <laughs> display. This, the camera sucks. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. Uh, it is. <laughs> so that was a huge disappointment. I, but it's I mean, like a mirrorless camera up there. How could it be bad? Well, people thing. do things bad all the time somehow. That's You'd be true. surprised. A- again, to, I guess to give them one point in their uh, in their favor is I do like that you can independently swivel decide the angle of the camera because that's actually a big complaint that i have of the studio display not the picture quality which is mediocre but that the way i have my monitor is the angle is bad i have to whenever i'm video conferencing like right now i have to tilt my monitor awkwardly down so that my I head mean, this is, is centered. center stage is full though Right. right. Yeah. But so, yeah. So that's my number one. This could be solved with software is just let me choose the crop. That is coming the... in the next version of macOS. Is it really? Yeah, oh, that's it really great. is. Yeah. Yeah. They, okay. They, they added that. Awesome. Okay. So that problem solved with that. And so uh, the, yeah, so it's really just the, the panel quality is poor. The camera is garbage. And uh, I actually think 32 inches is too big <laughs> this was oh. this this was the biggest surprise and i i do think if i lived with it for a week i just would have gotten it. used to it and then anything smaller would have become unacceptable like it would have that thing would have happened but i i had this mindset the entire time of 
living with 27 inches and thinking, oh man, if this, if this timeline was just a little bit wider, if I had a space for a panel over here, it's like, oh man, how nice would that be? And using the 32 inch monitor, it actually felt too far to where I was actually kind of having to move my head to, to take everything in. So I, there is a threshold of like a line you can cross where it felt like, oh, this actually is becoming kind of exhausting to use because there's too much real estate, I guess. So again, I, that's not super firm because I probably would get used to it and then it would be totally fine. You probably would. You probably Yeah, yeah. But kind of going back to the 27, it was like, oh, this actually, this feels right. Like I'm actually fine with this. <laughs> so this whole odyssey is over. <laughs> and I'm just In the best with- possible way. I yeah. am so happy that you both bought and returned one. Like this yeah. makes me really happy. <laughs> like, I can't believe it. That was well. Like one of the bad parts is the camera, which is like yeah. it feels like this monitor's whole existence, like its whole reason for being, is to house this huge camera. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. think it would be like the best. Yeah, yeah. like shallow depth of field. There's like, no reason to have a camera that big unless it's going to yeah. do stuff that's good. Otherwise, like the only reason there's a sound bar at the top of the display is because the camera's so big. Like that's why yeah. that's there. <laughs> I still think this machine looks the, the, this display looks like it's upside down. Like that would bother yeah. me. It looks yeah. like it's upside down, and I find that very weird. It does. Yeah. Now that you say that, it does. Like really I looked at some images. Like it's <laughs> like, now I'm looking on the, on the Dell website because I was looking for the sound bar, right? And and then looking at like a real big mm. image of it, I was like, yeah, no, it looks like it's upside down. There's something wrong with this. What did you? think about the mm-hmm. stand was the sand as bad yeah. as i expect it to be because they usually are like plastic and creaky and stuff it, so it definitely is plastic or kind of plastic coated feeling thing uh i didn't use it enough to uh get a real sense of like oh is this wobbling all over the place when i'm typing on my desk or whatever uh but my overall impression in the 30 minutes i used it was neutral where it's like yeah it's not great. There's a Dell. Lo- I, I the little re- I use the uh, little wooden relay logo block to like sit in front of the Dell logo, so I didn't have to that logo. St- stare you at know? that. Uh, and it's on wood, yeah, so exactly it's be better. Um, they should give you a wooden Dell logo. That's right. <laughs> they should. Don't That's make a thoroughly it considered silver, you monsters. Yeah. Yeah, it should just be black. I don't know, like the silver painted plastic. It's like what is happening? They're not being truthful. You know, they take they get plastic painted. Exactly. So two thumbs way down. Do not get this monitor. Oh, <laughs> so. Well, but come on, it's yeah. like six K or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, that is the. It, it, I guess one thing going forward is like it is Retina, like it is the proper resolution for for Mac OS. Like that part of it uh, was correct. That was fine. Um, but it was kind of hard to enjoy that because I was so discouraged by kind of all the uneven kind of shadowing yeah. stuff that was happening on the mm-hmm. edges. So, Oh, another thing is it, it was, matte? I was just going to say it was matte yep. and I also really yes. did not like that either. And in, to be. in buying this monitor, the studio display, I went to an Apple store just so I could compare the, the nano and the non nano textured glass. And I was a little bit surprised. Like I didn't, I thought there was a big difference between the glossy display and the nano display 
Whereas I feel like everyone was talking it up as if like, oh, it's so great. You can get a matte texture and it's just as vibrant and good as the glossy. And yeah. it's like, I didn't, I don't think that at I all. I don't like it either. Yeah. But I th- I think that people who need that are like thrown in the sense of like. They're so thrilled to have the option. Yeah. I have an LG display and a, and a Dell display like on the desk where my recording is. They're like older displays from before the studio display. Eventually I will replace it with a studio display. Um, and these are matte. Mm-hmm. And they don't look very good. Mm-hmm. Like just, it just doesn't look very nice. And I think the thing about the Nano Texas Studio display is like, it's close. Mm-hmm. And if you are in a situation where you need a matte display, it's like, yeah. oh my god, finally I can get something that's close. And I think people get very excited about that. And you mean just because there's weird reflections or something? And yeah, that's what glare you mean. and reflections. Yeah. Yeah. The color, like I always find that yeah, like people need it because of they, you know, they need it because of the reflection. Yeah. But I've always found that like on a matte display, the color just doesn't look right. Yeah, it's not as I don't nice. Know what it is? Yeah, I I feel like I had heard people kind of saying oh, this is so cool that it's matte. You should just get this regardless. And I strongly disagree with that. And I'm lucky I my computer is on the opposite side of a window or backed to a window, so I will never have direct sunlight on it. So I, that's not a problem mm. for my office setup. So, yeah. Well, aren't you fancy? <laughs> here I was just sitting here as Dan back and forth <laughs> on his monitor and you were hoping you were going to get a monitor around <laughs> with, it, with, your cra- <laughs> with your cra- with your cracked computer it's my cra- i'm sitting here <laughs> sitting on my cracked computer which i've started to not notice the crack so watch out <laughs> good good sometimes i mean i actually notice it quite a bit but i'm just kind of sitting and not making a decision about what to do well, the M- M3s will be here soon enough if you <laughs> wait a little bit longer. <laughs> Keep waiting forever and ever and ever. They really are, you know. So sometime next year, I suppose. Yeah. Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. You can find out more about this episode by going to relay.fm slash tc slash 102.